This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, September 9th. I'm Virginia Allen, and co-hosting with me today is... Jarrett Stepman. Today we share Robin Virginia's interview with C.J. Pearson, a young conservative activist based in Georgia. We also share heritage policy analyst Jonathan Butcher's commentary on the need to protect free speech on college campuses. Plus, we read your letters to the editor and a good news story about one little boy who used his birthday money to help victims of Hurricane Dorian. But before we get to today's show, I want to ask Jarrett to share a little bit about the podcast that he co-hosts with his colleague Fred Lucas called The Right Side of History. Thanks, Virginia. The Right Side of History is a podcast dedicated to exploring current events through a historical lens and busting left-wing myths about figures and events of America's past. Fred Lucas and I break down topics like the fall of communism, historical controversies at the Supreme Court, the history of the Second Amendment, and much more. Search for The Right Side of History wherever you get your podcasts. Now stay tuned for today's show, coming up next. We are joined on the Daily Signal podcast by C.J. Pearson. He's a young conservative activist located in Georgia. C.J., thanks for joining us. Rob, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. We're uh, excited. It was great to see you recently at the Heritage Foundation and uh, appreciate you coming on the Daily Signal podcast to share a little bit about your story. I want to begin by introducing you as, of course, a high school senior. Uh, You're somebody who's gained national attention because of your conservative activism. In fact, you've been described as the left's youngest nightmare. So you were raised, though, in a liberal household. So how did you become a conservative? You know, it's an interesting story, and I, and I do come from a house divided, which is certainly made for interesting dinnertime conversations, um, and definitely has been the subject of much discussion. Uh, you know, my videos are definitely the subject of much discussion um, within my household. So, you know, I think it for me, when I was first embarking upon my journey in politics, I wanted to find myself. I wanted to find out what I believe personally. I wanted to find my political values, and, 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 and wherever that led, I was okay with it. Um, where I started was with, you know, I read the Federalist Papers, I read the Constitution, I studied the platforms of both of the major parties. I actually even read a couple white papers from the Heritage Foundation back then, and this was like when I was like 10 or like 12. And so like, for me, you know, of course my parents have always voted Democrat, but what I always tell people is that, and this is a common story within the black community, my parents may have voted Democrat, but the values they instilled within me from when I was a child, were conservative values. They were pro-family. They were traditional. They were about personal responsibility. So moving towards conservatism wasn't a difficult thing for me. It was how I was raised. And for me, it was just about discovering the evidence and the things that support what I believe now. For example, you know, pro-growth policies, you know, fiscal conservatism, the right to life, all of those things. Uh, it, it took a thirst for knowledge. Uh, for me to figure out, yeah, these are my values. And so um, it all started kind of after the 2008 election. Uh, We had an assignment in class where it was like we had to do what every good citizen in the country was doing at the time. We had to research the candidates, and then we would ultimately cast our vote. And I remember watching the debates, not necessarily understanding at that time, I was like seven, you know, what Iran was doing that was so bad or what healthcare reform meant, but realizing that what they're doing on that stage was really, really important. And um, that kind of gave me the political bug, and I've been hooked ever since. That's great. You know, CJ, as uh, Rob mentioned, you have gained so much national attention, and that 
largely yeah. in part due to your disapproval of left wing policies. You know, was there yeah. maybe a specific policy or instance that really led you to engage in political discourse at such a young age? I think I think it was more so the the, the debate story. You know, I think like when I so during that time, you know, I was seven years old. I had never thought about politics before in any way. I was your average seven-year-old kid. I was playing with Legos, watching cartoons every Saturday morning. I was living my best life as a seven-year-old boy. And so we get this assignment. I totally shrug it off in the beginning. I was like, oh my God, like literally what is even politics? I don't care. Um, And then, you know, I just remember that like watching the debate. This was back when Candy Crowley was back at CNN. So this was like way back when. And I just remember just watching it, hearing them talk about these really important issues, realizing that they were important. But I think what really got me, like pushing me towards political activism, I don't think it was a singular issue, but I think it was the overarching belief that I believe that young people um, have an obligation to fight for the future that we want in this country. Um, no one's going to give that to us. No one's going to hand it to us. And I think that Unless we're involved, we can't complain. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, politicians, the decisions that politicians today make are going to affect our generation for years to come. So we might as well have a seat on the table because if we don't, we will most certainly be on the menu. And CJ, let me take you back to that period of time. How uh, how yeah. are you perceived among your classmates, teachers? I mean, what did they think of somebody who was not only well-educated and articulate about yeah. these policy issues, but also maybe coming from a perspective that differed from their own. Yeah. I think, you know, when it first started out, you know, it was kind of like I wasn't really overtly political uh, back in elementary school. Like, I, you know, it was something that interested me. You know, I read the newspaper front to back every single morning with my dad. But, like, that was pretty much it. Like, I didn't really talk about it much in school because it never really came up. So, like, we were learning, like, the fact families and things like that in math class. So we weren't really talking about politics yet. But, you know, in fifth grade, it was the 2012 election. We actually had another mock election that year. It was Romney and Obama. And it was just, it, it was a lot different. So uh, we did have those political conversations. They did begin to start. And I think a lot of my classmates were just kind of like baffled by the idea that I even found politics remotely interesting, but also that I like, I kind of knew what I was talking about and kind of, it's definitely shifted now, uh, you know, growing up, it, it hasn't, it's not always easy um, because, you know, people are more politically in tune now at this age and, you know, they may not have the most informed opinion, but everyone has an opinion. And so I think that there is a certain element of, uh, you know, like that I have to defend my beliefs more than I had to when I was younger. But there's also the fact that, you know, I had to grow up doing that, you know, like I live in a household you know, of card-carrying Democrats. If I have an opinion about Trump, I have to defend it. If I believe that, you know, this particular conservative policy is a good idea, I have to defend it. So uh, it's been something that I've welcomed. You know, I I welcome disagreement. I welcome people challenging my ideas. I think it makes me uh, a stronger advocate for my ideas. So it's definitely been interesting growing up kind of in the spotlight, especially as it relates to politics, because it's like, you know, I think when I first kind of like my first video went viral, a lot of my friends were just kind of like just kind of going crazy about the view count. And, and it, it's very different because it's like most kids my age, they're famous for like, you know, snorting cinnamon, right? And like doing things like that. So it's like I kind of got internet acclaim for a very different reason. So it's, um, it's definitely been an interesting journey. Well, and walk us through your use of social media, because I think that in many yeah. cases, uh, y- y- you you certainly uh, outmaneuvered a lot of people 
in yeah. your older generations in terms of your, yeah. your use of it and your ability to attract that following and, and generate some national mm-hmm. attention. So first of all, tell us how, how our listeners can find you and how you yeah. were able to have so much success. For sure. Well, you guys, uh, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at DCJ Pearson, also on Instagram as well at DCJ Pearson, or you can just go to my website, cjpearson.org, which will give you links to all of my social media profiles. But um, to kind of answer your question about kind of how I did it, it really, like, it was native to me. You know, I know a lot of people sit around, you know, big conference tables and, you know, very important places and turn out long social media strategies. For me, I grew up using Instagram. I grew up using Twitter. I grew up using Snapchat. So it was like when I'm posting my ideas or I'm posting my beliefs, it's really natural to me. There's no strategy behind it. You know, I don't tweet a certain amount of times a day. I probably tweet too much. And so it's like, you know, I think what really benefited me was kind of knowing the contours of the platform in a way that I think is uniquely, like that I'm uniquely able to do as someone who is my age but also someone who didn't take it too seriously and was more concerned about just uh, the ability to take my message in in places where it it wasn't before. You know, yesterday I started using TikTok, which is like the crazy new app that everyone is using, everyone in Gen Z is using. So everyone listening right now, if you want to be like, if you want your kid to think you're really cool, download TikTok, or if you just want to be in the know, download TikTok. So I started using TikTok. We're posting like little funny political videos and, and like, and I did it cause it's a new audience and, and everyone's there. Everyone's paying attention to that platform. And so I think the biggest advice I can give to people is be receptive to the, the changes and the dynamic of the platform, but also just be natural. Uh, your audience wants authenticity uh, and they want, um, they want simple, cool content. So I think that's definitely been something that um, I've, I've strived to do. Well, speaking of social media, on August 20th, you tweeted, the left equates blackness with victimhood, but I chose to be a victor and it feels good. Can you elaborate a little bit on that tweet and what you meant by that? You know, all the time, the left is constantly talking about how black people have gotten the short end of the the stick in this country, how we are the victims of the white man, and how we are still suffering the blows of slavery hundreds of years after, and how we need all the help that we can get from the government. I I disagree. I, I think what that has done is hobbled the black community to the point that we can't survive without the government. You know, I had a great conversation uh, with the president of the Heritage Foundation, uh, Mrs. James, and she the point that she made was that, you know, after the uh, Great Society, that that's really when we saw um, a type of dependency within the black community that we had never really seen before. You know, the, the black community before then was very self-reliant. They were, you know, very, um, they were self-starters. They, they owned black businesses. It was, it was a huge thing. They, 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 they prided themselves um, upon their independence. But after the Great Society, it became a crutch. And, you know, for me, I think, I think victimhood is laziness. And uh, it's just not something I ascribe to. I think that the way you advance in this world, the way that you move forward, is by putting in the work, grinding real hard, and just um, seeking opportunity. I don't need anyone to give me an unfair advantage. All I need is a fair shot. That's all I need. That's all I want. I don't need the government to take care of me. I don't need the government to pay my bills. All I need is opportunity. And I think that's what a lot of people of color, that's all they want. But all you hear from the left is ways for us, for them to just continue to put 
uh, the black community it just attached them more and more so um, to government than actually freeing them from that dependency. Thanks for sharing that perspective, CJ. It's really refreshing to hear you talk about that. You know, as a young person, I have to ask you about this recent NBC News Wall Street Journal poll, which we've yeah. covered on the Daily Signal podcast before. And it involved young the younger generation as particularly compared mm-hmm. to previous generations uh, when they were their same age as you and changing mm-hmm. views when it comes to patriotism, the importance of raising families, uh, commitment to religious faith, for instance. Mm-hmm. And we've seen all of those numbers decline. Whereas other polls show some alarming statistics about the rise of socialism and other concerning things on the minds of uh, conservatives and probably many of our listeners. So what can you tell us about your peers and uh, and how we as conservatives might do a better job of articulating those values that we hold so dear? If for, for starters, you know, what I would say is that I wouldn't read too much into those polls because I've seen the socialism statistic. Uh, and, and most kids my age really don't even know what socialism is. And so I think that that's really an education issue, right? Like we need to be educating our kids about what socialism is, what it entails, and the fact that it has literally devastated countries like Venezuela, like Cuba, and that socialism kills. It's not something that makes everything equal. If it does make any anyone equal in any regard, it makes us equally poor and equally like you know unsuccessful. So I think that's an education issue. But I think also like – from my own personal observations, I see, honestly, one of the most, like, as far as attitudes go, one of the most conserved generations that I think I've seen in a long time. Like, this is a generation that hates PC culture. We hate political correctness. Like, our memes are the most offensive things I've ever seen, but, like, we love them, and we pride ourselves on them, and, like, it's, and cancel culture. Like, we hate cancel culture. Like, it's literally asinine. Like that we are literally like bringing up things from 15 years ago and, and holding it um, over the over the heads of people who have changed and evolved. You know, so it's like I, I think that a lot of those issues are that and, and my advice to the right would be let's educate our young people. Right. Let's teach them about why socialism is a bad idea. Let's teach them about why the free market is the greatest pathway to success for them, their families and their communities. Let's talk to them about you know, why President Trump is the racist, isn't the racist that the media constantly tries to depict him as, but is actually someone who signed into law. The First Step Act has led on criminal justice reform and has brought about the lowest black unemployment rate in our nation's history. Because no one my age is hearing that. Like, they're not at all because they're reading BuzzFeed. They're on Snapchat all the time. Or, you know, they get their news from Taylor Swift and love Taylor. But, you know, I just don't know she's the source, the best source for political news. So I think the biggest thing that we need to do as conservatives is meet young people where they are. We need to be on platforms like TikTok. We need to be on Instagram. We need to be on Snapchat, all those places. And we need to start educating young people about these issues. These issues are not just fancy little taglines. They have ramifications. They have consequences. Socialism isn't cool. Socialism is something that actually has devastated, again, country after country after country. And I don't think enough young people know that. And it's our obligation as conservatives to educate them on what those ramifications are. CJ, thank you for sharing that. You know, you've just begun your senior year of high school, yeah. and it's so exciting to watch, you know, everything you've done at already such yeah. a young age. Do you have any plans or thoughts for what you'll do after you graduate? 
You know, I, I, I'm open to a lot of, you know, different options right now. You know, I've actually, you know, I got into my first university, my first college acceptance uh, earlier this month. That was really exciting. And I'll hopefully be hearing back from a few more colleges after December. But, you know, I really kept an open mind about it. Uh, you know, I'm super excited to continue um, to continue my activism, to continue to fight. Um, to ensure that my generation has a seat at the table and that um, that conservatism is advanced. I think that what's so important more now than ever is for people my age to rise up and speak out. Our country is at a crossroads where we will really have to decide what type of nation we want to be. So we want to be a nation of open borders, uh, of socialism, or a country where babies are allowed to be aborted post-birth? And I think the answer to that question is no. Uh, and, and I think that the only way that we ensure that that answer remains now is by being vocal, by being active, by being involved, and by ensuring that this next generation of Americans knows that conservatism is not the dirty word that their teacher said it was. It's not the dirty word that Taylor Swift said it was, but it's something that is intrinsic to what it means to be an American. It's, it's a reflection of the values of our founding fathers who uh, did the most audacious thing when they set out to found this country so that we could self-govern, which is one of the hardest things for any civilized society to do, but we've done it. And I, and I think that is really what my ambition is after school, is to, after high school, is to continue that work, to continue that effort to ensure that um, conservatism lives on and that more young people um, are informed, are aware, and educated about the most important issues uh, that are shaping uh, our society and our culture for well, years to come. Well, CJ, we certainly need you out there fighting that good fight, uh, that happy warrior spirit that you bring. Uh, so, so thank you for doing what you're doing, and we wish you the best uh, as you finish out high school. Uh, remind our listeners once again, yeah. if they want to follow you on social media or learn more about the work you're doing, how best to go about doing that? For sure. Well, uh, Rob and Virginia, first and foremost, I want to thank you guys for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great conversation. Uh, if your viewers uh, or listeners uh, want to follow me, they can check me out at DCJ Pearson on Twitter, uh, Instagram as well, and my website is cjpearson.org. That's great. Thank you so much, CJ. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Tired of high taxes, fewer health care choices, and bigger government? become a part of the Heritage Foundation. We're fighting the rising tide of homegrown socialism while developing conservative solutions that make families more free and more prosperous. Find out more at heritage.org. Jonathan Butcher is a senior policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation. Butcher was recently featured in one of the Daily Signal's Let Freedom Speak episodes, in which he explains what parents and state lawmakers should do to protect free speech on college campuses. Take a listen. Free speech is in peril on college campuses across the country. Students need to know that they can ask hard questions, and they need to be heard. They need to know what other people's opinions are on the tough issues of the day. And that's the only way that we'll be able to develop civil society in the future. Here's what parents and state lawmakers can do to restore the pursuit of truth at our schools and colleges. I'm Jonathan Butcher, Senior Policy Analyst at the Heritage Foundation. Everyone has seen speakers shouted down on campus and too many college students have been a part of speaker shoutdowns or disrupted events. State lawmakers should be looking at proposals that are prepared to issue consequences to those students that violate the free expression of others. Administrators need to be prepared to tell students that that is not acceptable, and students should be ready for facing suspension or expulsion. 
if an event is disrupted. For parents, they need to look not just at the price tag of the tuition at the school when they're looking to send their child, they also should look for free speech zones or speech codes. They need to look at the campus environment before they make a choice about where to send their child to school. What's the point of attending college if you can't ask hard questions? What's the point if the First Amendment to the Constitution is not protected by those that are giving you instruction, by the professors, by the administrators? When they're adults, we're going to need to expect them to be able to handle situations that they don't agree with. It's not a college's job to protect students from ideas with which they disagree. What the heck is trickle-down economics? Does the military really need a space force? What is the meaning of American exceptionalism? I'm Michelle Cordero. I'm Tim Descher. And every week on the Heritage Explains podcast, we break down a hot-button policy issue in the news at a 101 level. Through an entertaining mix of personal stories, media clips, music, and interviews, we help you actually understand the issues. So do this. Subscribe to Heritage Explains on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts today. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites in this show and in our Morning Bell email newsletter. Jarrett, who's up first? Audrey Ricard writes, keep up the good work. I rely on you to give unbiased reporting and pray that you can keep your head above the fray. I can't begin to tell you how saddened and disappointed I am in our representatives in Congress. They spend more time bashing each other and the president than getting things done for our country. Shame. God bless you and the work that you're doing to keep us informed. And Juliet Sweeta writes, Thank you to Fred Lucas, Rachel Del Judas, and The Daily Signal for keeping us up to date on this false Equality Act. This bill cannot become law. As a woman and a mother of a female collegiate athlete, the Equality Act reeks of misogyny. No woman will be safe. Your letter could be featured on next week's show. Send an email to letters at dailysignal.com or leave a voicemail message at 202-608-6205. Every Monday, The Daily Signal starts your week with a good news story. Virginia, over to you. Thanks, Jarrett. We've all watched anxiously as Hurricane Dorian struck the Bahamas and then headed up the East Coast. When six-year-old Jermaine Bell heard that thousands of people were being evacuated from their homes in Florida, he told his parents that he wanted to help. In fact, he told them that he wanted to use some of the money that his parents had been saving to take him to Disney World for his seventh birthday to help those in need of assistance instead. Instead of a birthday trip to Disney World over Labor Day weekend, Jermaine and his family went to South Carolina to provide food and water for those on the evacuation route. The people that are traveling to go to other places, I wanted them to have some food to eat so they can enjoy the ride to the place that they're going to stay at. Jermaine served hot dogs, chips, and water to over 100 people along Highway 125 in Allendale, South Carolina. Aretha Grant, Jermaine's grandmother, said her grandson even prayed with a family that God would protect their home from the storm. Wow. (laughs) Way to go, Jermaine. It is just so awesome to see someone simply taking the time to care for the people around them in such a practical way. I think this is something that we can all strive to do more often. 
Well, we're going to leave it there for today. The Daily Signal podcast comes to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. You can find it on the Ricochet Audio Network. All of our shows can be found at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as a part of your Alexa flash briefing. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.